This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks on KQB with expert advice from CPA attorney and retirement and estate planning expert, Jim Lang, the best-selling author of Retire Secure and the Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Now on the air and online worldwide at retiresecure.com, get ready to talk smart money. Hello and welcome to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. I'm your host, Hannah Haytanen Kay, and of course I'm here with Jim Lang, CPA, attorney, and best-selling author of the first and second edition of Retire Secure and the Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Jim's guest tonight is Sandy Botkin, president of the Tax Reduction Institute. Sandy is an attorney, CPA, and a former trainer of IRS attorneys nationwide, and now he is on our side. His most recent book, Lower Your Taxes, Big Time, the completely updated 2011-2012 edition, is the ultimate guide to saving on your taxes. Last year, Sandy was on the show and gave a series of great tips that could save listeners thousands of dollars in taxes. On tonight's show, Sandy will again share with you the top five things you can do to maximize your tax return this year. We are also going to discuss why tax planning is so important and why people of all income should care about tax planning. In addition, he will tell you about what he considers Taxpayer Freedom Day and what it means. But before I turn it over to Jim, I want to remind our listeners that the show is live, so please feel free to call in with your questions for Sandy. The number is 412-333-9385. Again, that is 412-333-9385. Good evening, Jim, and welcome to the show, Sandy. Sandy, thanks for coming on the show. You know, I, I, as I was preparing for the show and I was reading um, quite a bit of your book, Lower Your Taxes, I was pretty astounded by the amount of potential savings that listeners could have by either buying your book or listening to some of the advice that we're going to talk about now. But let me tell you what one of my concerns is. One of my concerns is I don't want to get anybody in trouble doing anything that is wrong. So it might be okay to go up to the line of, you know, what is acceptable and what isn't, but not over the line. In fact, I was involved in a TV program one time, by the way, nothing to do with KQV or or even my show, where there was a guy named Irving Schiff, and Irving also wrote a book. And he basically said, file an income tax return and put zero on it because the tax, because the whole system was unconstitutional. Now, he was obviously a little bit of a nut. How do we know that what you're telling us is sound information and that if people go out and do some of these things that they're not going to get in trouble? Well, first of all, I can tell you that uh, Erwin Schiff does not look good in prison orange. I can't can that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first of all, Hopefully you'll you know, never for, visit him there. I, I, am, I am a lawyer. I'm a CPA. I'm also a best-selling author. But more important, I was a former trainer of IRS attorneys nationwide. So I guess if you think of an IRS agent as a rat, I guess that makes me the head rodent. <laughs> and, if, and if you do a Google search, which is kind of interesting, you do a Google search for a lot of different famous people, you'll see a lot of pro and a lot of negative. You, you will see thousands of hits on me, and you will rarely see anything negative. And we're talking on the, all the thousands and thousands of hits on me. So... I must be doing something right. And by the way, speaking of that book, Lower Your Taxes Big Time, one reason that you know you're not going over the line 
is because, if you noticed, every single thing I say in that book is footnoted, is annotated to the Internal Revenue Code, regulations, rulings, and case law. I don't say anything that I can't prove. Well, I, I actually kind of knew, knew that because, frankly, if you, if you didn't have those kind of credentials, you wouldn't be on the show. And if you didn't do such a fine job last, last year. But um, I just wanted to he- have the listeners hear it directly from you. Hey, you have some serious credentials because some of the things that you talk about are really pretty significant in terms of tax savings. Um, so let, let, let's just say, now I, I know you love to have people start their own businesses, don't you? That is correct. And that, right. there's, there's a reason for that. The reason is that we have two tax systems in this country. And when I first say that, most people think, sure, one for rich and one for poor. Or alternative minimum. quite right. And you don't mean alternative minimum tax system either, do you? No. If you're in your own business, you can take those deductions for the alternative minimum tax, too. The problem is if you're an employee. If you're an employee, if you're one of the working stiffs, then you're really hit the worst because you're taxed on dollar one. You have very few deductions. You can possibly be hit with an alternative minimum tax if you don't do things correctly. But if you are self-employed, you can deduct most of the, Well, first of all, you get a lot more deductions. You can deduct part of your house, your spouse, the equivalent of your kid's education and weddings. And I'm not kidding. I'll just get into that. You can set up a pension plan that makes any government plan small by comparison. And I agree with you, by the way, about the Roth situation. And it's just enormous benefits being self-employed. And people really need to understand how critical that is. Well, I think in particularly in today's economy, uh, even if people wanted to have their traditional 9-to-5 job and work it for 20 or 30 years or even more and then retire on a pension, that's, that's not so much an economic reality these days. Oh, not, not only is it not an economic reality, but I'll tell you a little interesting, some, some really startling statistics. Uh, you know, first of all, there was a study done by Harvard where they found that they wanted to know what percentage of the people at age 65, you probably read about this, could retire at the same standard of living they had before retirement. And the answer was a shocking 4%, which means 96% of most Americans, with the exception of those listening to the show because they're getting smarter, but 96% of most Americans either have to continue working live on some form of charity, or reduce their standard of living. And we've been reading about how older people are working longer, which is why there's not a lot of jobs available for the younger group. I was just reading, in fact, about the post office, where they said there are three people working at age 98. 98. And part of that is they don't have the money to be able to survive, their, to work the retirement, to have a sufficient retirement. So they have to work longer, or they have to work harder. And a good example of that was my uncle. My uncle was a, a principal in a public school. He wanted to make some extra money, so what did he do? He got a second job, and he became a principal in a private school. He was putting in 70-hour work weeks, and he died penniless because he was subject to that system that's designed to take your wealth instead of create wealth. Well, I think there's, I think there's a lot of great things in your book about small businesses. We probably won't spend most of our time there because I, I don't think that's the majority of our listeners. But um, I, I do like the idea of, first of all, and partly it's because I am small business myself. Um, I like small business. I would prefer, and frankly, I would prefer for my daughter, for example, um, that she figure out some way not to be beholden to the man but could go out and, and stake her own claim. But the tax motivations of a lot of the things that you have in there for small businesses, and particularly, and I don't even mean five and ten and twenty employee businesses, but even 
a lot of your strategies will work with, you know, I call it a man and a desk business. You That's know, right. One person. One person. That's exactly right. And you have you all. Know, it, it, it is shocking to me, shocking, that people who want to make extra money will work overtime for their boss or overtime for their work. When, when, frankly, they should work as little as possible to avoid getting, uh, getting laid off and then putting that extra time into developing a side business. They have tremendous tax benefits there. They'll be able, they, maybe they'll be able to make enough money where they don't have to keep working for that boss, which, by the way, is spelled backwards, double S-O-B, and they don't have to put up with the commute and put up with all that other stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a strong, strong business proponent, and when you look at the tax laws, so are the tax laws, too. Well, yeah, in fact, the, the, the one argument that I could say about, boy, you know, he has so many tax deductions for small business owners, is that you, you, when you deduct everything, you don't end up showing much profit, so you can't put all that much money into a retirement plan. But well, I, the deduction includes the retirement plan. R- r- <laughs> that you can well, that, well, that's right. I mean, I, I would rather not pay the tax and then, then invest a little differently, although, you know, again, we, I, I know that we're on the same fa- page with... Um, Roths, but but let's let's get away from from small business for a minute, because we do have a a lot of listeners um, who have maybe a cabin or a second home, and um, and interestingly enough, when when as an estate attorney who prepares wills, I would say we spend as much time or more on the fifty or hundred or maybe two hundred thousand, but often not a huge value, on what to do with that after husband and wife dies than we do on maybe one or two million dollars. So if you could tell us a little bit about what people who already have um, some type of vacation home, cabin, little place in the country or whatever it is, because I know that you have some some opinions on that, and frankly, I think they can save people a lot of money. Oh, sure. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, the average American who doesn't necessarily have a small business, which the first, first thing I would say is get a small business. Right, right. But there's an awful lot of things that people should be doing. Um, I'll give you a couple of things. I mean, I can just think of the top of my head here. First of all, I'll give you one thing that I will bet 90% of your listeners didn't know and are doing. And it's a small thing, but it adds up. IRS has ruled that not only is your dry cleaning deductible when you go away on an employee business trip or even a, a small uh, uh, other kind of business trip, or seminar, out-of-town seminar. But as long as the clothing got soiled there, you may clean them anywhere. So your first dry cleaning bill you incur when you get back home is 100% deductible. I like that. I didn't know that. See? <laughs> and, and it doesn't sound like much. but when you And that includes the shoe shines, by the way, you might get at the airport. So if you add all that up and you multiply that by 20, 30, 40 years, I mean, that could be thousands. I, I, okay? I, I did not know that. I always just kind of figured, well, you know, clothes are one of those things that – unless you're some type of uh, workman wearing specialized clothing that you can't deduct. In fact, I always resented that a little bit because, you know, I'm a proper CPA and an attorney, and I can't buy $100 racks, suits off the rack, so I get, you know, the custom with the, with the label and all that, and they're not cheap, and I'm not allowed to deduct it. But I didn't know that I could deduct my dry cleaning when I go away. That's absolutely right. Uh, and, in fact, by the way, talk about the suits off the rack. You know, normally, you're right. Normally, the clothing that you normally wear, the suits, the dresses, the, the coats, things like that, are not deductible. But is there a way to write those off? You know, there's an old saying where I live in Washington, D.C., where there's a will, there's a lawyer. <laughs> I think I was going to say relative. No. Uh, what you do is you put a, if you're willing to do this, is you put a stitched-on logo on the front of your suit or, or shirt or whatever it is, showing what, what, what business or what company you work for. 
By doing that, that no longer becomes a normal outfit. That becomes a costume. Costumes are fully deductible, and so is the dry cleaning of that. Now, now you don't think, what, what about a little JL that's kind of... No, I don't think that'll work. It's got to <laughs> be think... big enough to, to show <laughs> what you're doing. I, 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 have, I have the little JL on the pocket that, frankly, is covered by the, by the suit coat. But, okay. And by the way, somebody, somebody asked me a question at one of my seminars when I said that, does the, does the logo have to be viewable? And I asked him, what do you mean? He said, he said what about underwear? No, it has to be viewable. That's correct. <laughs> All right. Well, well, well that, that, that's, actually, that's actually, again... Um, and in a way, I wish I had a show that just was nothing but to small business people because some of the things that you have are, are really just wonderful for that. But probably most of the listeners here, and we want to make okay, this relevant. Okay, let's keep going. I'm only, for, only starting. All right. Um, oh, oh by, by the way, <laughs> but the, the, the truth is, and I'll tell this to the audience because, you know, I've, I've read good chunks of your books and we, we, we spoke for an hour a year ago. The truth of the matter is I could walk away right now and you could talk for four, five, six hours without interruption. So running out of topics for you to tell people how to save money is not one of my concerns tonight. No. <laughs> <laughs> Plus I have a new financial book coming out, so I'm going to have a lot of things to say. All righty. So, so why, why don't we keep going with some ideas for people who are our employees? Or, or uh, the, other thing is, the other thing is we do have a lot of retirees, too. All right, I want to talk about the second home also. Don't let me forget that. Okay, I'm happy. Right to now, I'm talking about happy to talk about that too. Yeah, right now we're in an economy where you know some people have lost their jobs, although more people are being hired than than two five than maybe two three years ago. But still, there's a lot of unemployed people. A lot of people, when you're unemployed and you're looking for that job, you can deduct as an employee all of those expenses of looking for a job, and that gets really missed. And that includes things like. Um, if you hire a professional headhunter or you hire a professional tutor or coach to teach you what you need to do for the interviews, resume preparation, travel to interviews, and that includes if you have to stay in a hotel, the travel, the mileage to, uh, to go to uh, an employer, things like that. Any, anything to get that job is fully tax deductible as a job hunting expense. All right. All right. Now, help, help me out for a minute because I actually, when I was in law school, we had a, a professor and he, he used to say, if you don't know where it belongs on the 1040, you don't really understand the concept. He it was becomes those... an itemized deduction if you're an employee. All right, and is that subject to the 2% floor? That is subject to the 2% floor. That's it is. Correct. Okay. All right, but, but by the way, you know, that's, that's one of those things. And, I mean, I actually told my CPAs that they should really take a look at your book. And, and I don't know if you've reduced some of the ideas in your book to a checklist, but... There's a lot of stuff on here that even the CPAs didn't know. Oh, yeah. Um, I've had a lot of accountants call me up and say, gee, I really didn't know this information. And they're using it now for tax planning. I've had coaching companies start whole coaching businesses based on my material. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know about the dry cleaning, and I also didn't know um, about the job hunting expenses there you and, go. and being deductible. And let's, let's, well, let's keep going. I've done right. here's, here's an interesting thing. You, something you did know, but there's a little twist that I bet you didn't know is the fact that when you send your kids to college, the first four years, you have a choice. You can get a tax credit, which is a yummy dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in their taxes of up to $2,500. It's called the American Opportunity Credit, and that's per kid. Or you can get a, what's called a lifetime learning credit, where you can get up to $2,000, which is not as good as the American Opportunity, for any education, undergrad or graduate. Uh, it's, in a, it's one or the other. The problem with both of those credits, however is that there are severe income limitations. You have to make over, uh, you have to make under a certain amount of money. 
So what do you do if, and if you ask me what that number is, I'm not quite sure exactly. It's about 100 and some odd thousand, but I just don't remember which it is. But what do you do if you do make more than that amount so you can't take the child, uh, the uh, college credits? What you do is you stop claiming your kids as a dependent. If you stop claiming them as a dependent and you give them the money and let them pay for the tuition, they can take the child care credit against their income. And that includes their earned income, dividends, things like that. So that's a way around that income limitation. Yeah, but by, by the way, if you are a parent with children in college or a grandparent who wants to reduce the tax burden of their children, you should be taking notes right now because that's a really valuable tip. And, and the other thing that, that you talked about, um, I believe that, and you were, you were pretty bold about it, you said... And I forget what state you're what what state you're a resident in, but if I'm I re- a resident of Maryland. Or you're a resident of Maryland, but if I remember right, your daughter did not attend a Maryland school. That is correct. And this the wherever she did attend, the uh, the state tuition was significantly lower than an out of state. Now, it, had she stayed a Maryland resident, then she would have been paying out of state tuition that would have been quite high, but. I believe that you had a different idea for her, so maybe you could share that idea with our That's listeners. That's correct. In fact, in my new book, I'm going to be including this, by the way. It's an article that I wrote on how to get in-state tuition for an out-of-state kid. And there are a number of things you can do. A lot of times people, your state doesn't have the, the, uh, the major that your kids may want, or maybe another school has a better major in terms of what they're offering. So let's say you send well, your well, kid well, from... What state are you in, by the way? Um, we're, we're in Pennsylvania, or I was going to oh. say you, you might do what my wife did, which is she lived in New Jer- She grew up in New Jersey, and she went to school at in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon. Ready for this? Which is obviously one of the fine computer science schools. Understood. Because her boyfriend was going to school nearby. That's true, an interesting reason. <laughs> true, true, true story, by the way. She bumbled and stumbled her way to Carnegie Mellon, where she ended up getting a master's in electrical engineering to be near her high school boyfriend. You know, when, which... we're, when we're younger, we're dumb. I could have gotten into a lot of different law schools. I did very well in the LSAT. But what did I do? I was a New York boy. I went down to Florida during one of the worst winters in New York, and I see these beautiful palm trees. I see these beautiful, skimpily clad girls. And I said to myself, I'm going to University of Miami Law School because that's where I want to go. Well, what was my reason? Skimpily clad women. Well, that doesn't <laughs> that? sound... That's that, a dumb kid. Well, I'm, 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 I might be a little dumb, but I'm not a kid. And that's, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that, well, I'm yeah, just My reasoning gonna, wasn't always so smart. I'm going to cut uh, in right here, right now, and we're going to go to a break. Um, we will come back and continue this enlightening conversation about taxes and other things. Um, I want to remind our listeners out there that we are live tonight. So if you have any questions, you can give us a call at 412-333-9385. We'll be right back with Sandy Botkin and Jim Lang on the Lang Money Hour. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQVAM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. Welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. This is Hannah Haytainen-Kay, and I'm here with Jim Lang and Sandy Botkin, 
president of the Tax Reduction Institute. Now, now, Sandy, where we left off was you were starting to tell us how your daughter was able to pay in-state tuition even though she grew up with you and, and at least before she went to college was a resident of Maryland. Okay. There are, there are a number of ways to do it. And as I mentioned, I'm going to get a whole chapter on this, uh, including a chapter on trusts and all kinds of stuff that you were talking about. But here's what she did. I, you know, I, I, did, I used my legal background, and in many states... There is an exception where you can get in-state tuition. You don't always have to be in the military, which is one way, or have your parents move there. There's another exception. If the kids are, pay their own expenses, they, they become a resident of that state, and they are truly independent of the parents and pay their own tuition, then they get independent status. Even though you don't have to go for a trial, you don't have to have a court determination, all you have to do is have them pay their own expenses, and if they're independent, they, get in state, they can get in-state tuition at a lot of schools. And that's what it said in the Ohio regulations for the school that she went to. So what we did was we, had, we, did, we saved up money over the years, and we put it in her name. And that's been something we, we've done. And I've always been a firm believer in saving for long-term type of deals, like tuition, weddings, things like that, in advance in their name for doing things like this. Right, now, now, I hate to interrupt, but are we talking about... Savings in a 529 plan, savings in a uniform some gift of the to minors. Some 529 plan, some of them were just in her name. All right, and her name would be in, was that a unified gift to minors trust or just her, her name? Okay. That is correct. And actually the 529 plan was a prepaid tuition plan for the University of Maryland. Little did I know she wouldn't be going to Maryland. Okay. But you know, a lot of these prepaid tuition plans have, a, have an interesting deal, especially the Maryland one. If you don't go to a state, if you don't go to a university in that state, if you go to a different university, a different university, they will pay out what the tuition would have been. Okay, I like that. Which is kind of interesting. So what we did was, for one year, we stopped claiming her as a dependent. We then had her pay all of her own expenses out of her own money. She mm -hmm. paid her own car. She changed her driver's license. She changed her voter's registration. She filed an Ohio tax return to show that she really intended to become a domicile. She uh, paid her own tuition. She paid her own rent, she paid her own books, her own gas, everything. And she kept records as to what she was paying. And sure enough, when the school wanted to know if she was truly independent, she showed that she paid for everything, that we weren't paying for anything. By doing that, she established independent status and she got in-state tuition from there on in. To give you an idea of how valuable that was, in-state tuition was 9000 a year, out-of-state tuition was 24000 a year. We save $15,000 a year for two and a half years. And, and I would imagine that today there might even be a bigger differential. That is. That is correct. So, so, so we're, we're talking about, uh, again, for, for, for people who have kids in college, between what you said there and the credits and having the credits on your daughter's or, or son's return is, is, is really some, some great stuff. I wish we had more time. Um, you also said that there were some, some fun ways that people could deduct their vacation home. Let me get into that, yes. It's a very, there's some very important concept dealing with vacation homes. First of all, you can deduct uh, up to the interest, up to a million dollars worth of total debt on your primary residence and or your vacation home. That's, it. that's, that's the maximum, plus you can get a, what is known as a home equity loan of 100000 on your principal residence. But the key behind, there's something else that's very important. And that is when you got repairs, when this, is, this applies to vacation homes and your principal residence, if it's a repair, if you're fixing something, you get no benefit from that. You can't add it to your basis to reduce your gain. 
You can't deduct it. You can't do anything. A repairs are lost money. You might as well have taken that money and burned it in a fireplace because you get no benefit from it. Well, well, but, but but, it, but, by the way, I, I hate to interrupt again, but this, this, is, this does not apply to rental property where the repair is an ordinary necessary business expense. It does not apply to rental property. We're right. talking vacation home and principal residence. Right. I, I just wanted to clarify. That's correct. We're okay. not talking about rental property. You want to talk about rental property, I'll switch the subject. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. No, let's, let's, let's keep going with uh, not rental property. Now, if, however, it's an improvement, improvements are very different. Improvements add to your basis, which means it reduces the gain when you sell that property. And even better, if you decide to rent the property out, improvements increase your basis, which increases your depreciation. So improvements are what you want when it comes to both your principal residence and your vacation home, and not repairs. So what's the difference? Well, the key is to classify them correctly by structuring them correctly. A repair, for example, is something that simply fixes something. It doesn't uh, it doesn't, it's not new. An improvement would be new. For example, if I fix the compressor in a, in, a heating, in a air conditioning system, that's a repair. If I put in a whole new air conditioning system, it's an improvement. A repair fixes a hole or fixes a part of something. An improvement might fix the whole, uh, or the whole wall. Uh, an improvement is designed to make it, look, make it better, designed to a new condition, increase the value. Repairs don't do that. Repairs is bringing to the same condition. So whenever possible, you always want to try and structure it as an improvement and not a repair because you can add that money to your basis. You don't lose it. Yeah. You know, I, I love some of your strategies. The, the, other, the yeah. other one that I liked. Hello? Yeah. Are, are you still with me? Can you hear me? You're breaking up. All right. Um, all right. Can you, can you hear me now? I hope, hope, hope you can. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, we, have, we, have a problem. we have a little problem here. I think we're having a phone problem here. He can try to call back, maybe. All right. Um, I mean, we hear him fine, so. We, we hear you. You don't hear us? can hardly hear you, Jim. Maybe, it's, maybe you should have a new call. Maybe I can call in or you can call yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can, can you call us back? Uh, you might not. Okay. All right. Anyway, San, Sandy is, is going to call us back. Um, and I really do... The, the thing that's very interesting about what he does is he knows what the law is, and he is willing to go right up to the line. Now, the, the one thing that I should mention as a, let's say, as a conservative CPA is he probably has more fun talking about the concepts than talking about the documentation that you must keep in order to have these deductions and have these expenses um, stand up in the event of a challenge. So I would also just take a moment to caution people, and I would say that in general, uh, the IRS is getting, is getting tougher about, about certain things, and particularly if you're going to be doing some aggressive planning, then it's even better to have a paper trail. So for example, um, some of the some of the things that we do are, are you back on Sandy? I am back on. So you just completely lost the communication. I don't know how that happened. Okay, good. I I I don't I don't know. I think either. IRS got excited and they wanted to pull the plug. I don't yeah. blame them. I if I were them, I would hate you. <laughs> Actually, they're very good about it. They like someone giving God good information. And sadly, there's so many people like Erwin Schiff and others that when somebody comes out with good information, they're more than willing to help them. Yeah, he he was a character. By the way, he what he did at first, he told people not to file tax returns. 
then the people that listened to him got in a lot of trouble. So then he changed his he changed his tune. He said, "No, put down zero on your tax return." <laughs> and he got in trouble with that. Actually, but, when he got to court and. Uh, People complained about how much they lost and how much penalties they had. He looked at them and go, well, you were stupid. And you, you, who tells you to listen to me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let me give you a few other things. All right. Uh, in most cases, you want to file your tax return early, as early as possible, maybe January. If you oh, can. don't tell that to people. We, we, we like extensions. <laughs> no. No. You, if, if you're going to get a refund, you want to file early. Yeah, but what about the poor CPA who's cr our office is crushed right now? I, I get it. <laughs> we want to tell people, hey, there's no problem with extensions. The problem here's the advantage of filing early. You're losing interest on the money, whereas if you got it early, you can have use of that money. That's why you want to file early, particularly if you're going to get a refund. Now, I understand the problem for the CPA. I do feel for them. Believe me. Uh, you, 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 by the way, let's talk about that for a moment. There's a lot of people. I, I was asked when I was on um, Fox News what tax software I would recommend for people to use. And here's the answer. None. Ooh. Uh-oh. Uh, here's the reason. There was a study done in 2006 by the IRS, which was confirmed by Canada Revenue Agency up for their, for their people. And here's what they found, that people who do their own tax return have double the error rate of that of a professional accountant, like a CPA or enrolled agent or attorney. Double the error rate which means if you do your own return, you are increasing your chance of audit. You are, you are triggering, first of all, you're, you're increasing your chance of making a mistake, both for or against yourself. And if you get into a problem, who's going to represent you? The box? That's why I rarely ever recommend doing your own tax return. And I'm oh. not saying this because I'm a CPA. I feel very strongly about that. All right, well, that one I appreciate because we, we do have a tax preparation um, in fact, that's how I got started. But but actually, you mentioned a, a, something very interesting, which is um, not having to pay the IRS early. And and here's this one. I, you might have this one in your book too. But um, this one I learned from Natalie Schott, and I wanted to ask ask your opinion on this. So let's say, for discussion's sake, that you are older than seventy and you are taking a minimum required distribution from your IRA. Mm -hmm. And let's just say, for discussion's sake that the IRA is roughly a million dollars and that your minimum required distribution is, say, $40,000. And let's also just say that, that that is roughly what your tax liability is for the whole year. What Natalie tells people to do is, and, and obviously this is going to work for wealthier taxpayers, um, but what Natalie tells people to do is if you have the money to live during the year with money from outside your IRA, Hang on, wait until let's say late November or early December, then take your then when you would take your minimum required distribution, have them withhold the entire forty thousand or if if you don't need that much withheld, maybe withhold half of it or something like that, and don't pay any estimates throughout the year, and that that money, even though it was held in in December is treated as if it was withheld throughout the whole year. That's interesting. It, it, uh, I don't know if it works with IRA distributions, but it definitely works, and I, that's in my book, in fact, it definitely works with employment. One of the things right. that I get all the time is someone, gee, I didn't, my, I didn't pay enough estimated taxes, and I made all this money, and what do I do? And my answer is, do you, have a, do you or your spouse have a job? And if the answer is yes, I say, then you're in great shape. Take increased withholding. You can actually have more money put away than they normally would require. Any amount withheld, no matter when it's withheld, I don't care if it's all done in December as a result of a bonus, is treated as if it were done equally throughout the year. 
And that's true of any withholding that you have. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great tip, um, whether it's withholding or it's or whether it's the IRA. And plus, the other thing is it reduces the paperwork burden because you don't have to file all the, those estimates. Absolutely. Um, I, I like that idea very much in terms of that's in my book, by the way. Yeah, it's a, if, if, if floating the IRS, you know, in effect getting an interest-free loan from Uncle Sam. That is correct. Well, speaking of, of interesting ideas, um, one of the things that I found kind of interesting, and plus it, it had a, a kind of a catchy name, which allows a double deduction for equipment and has been approved in numerous Supreme Court cases, is the Botkin Trust. Could you tell us about the Botkin Trust? Okay. Here, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could deduct all the equipment that you use in your rental property, for example, or in your business, twice. When I first say that, people give me a double look. And here's the answer. You, you set up, what you do is you depreciate the equipment, whether it be equipment in your business or equipment in your rental property. And I want to emphasize something here. Uh, equipment used in rental or commercial property is depreciated separately from the building. Building has one sort of depreciation, and equipment has another. And we're talking about equipment such as washer, dryers, refrigerators, stoves, things like that. Commercial properties, other equipment. Right, because obviously that would have a much shorter depreciation base. Absolutely. And not even to mention the, the, uh, the accelerated depreciation methods. And the, Absolutely. And the, what, what is it, Section 179? Well, 179 applies only to business if Uh-oh. you want to make an election. Not All right. Property. All right. You got me. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> I know this stuff. Believe me. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you depreciated the equipment. And now uh, it's gone. You don't. You no longer have any more depreciation. Your basis. You your basis is zero. Your basis is zero. But the but the equipment's still there. The refrigerator's still the there. The stove there. You're still using still it in your fine. business. You're still right. using it in your rental property and so on. Right. So what you do is you give away title to the equipment to a relative that you want to support. It could be your children, your grandchildren, your niece, your nephew, your significant other, whoever. Okay. And you and and you transfer that title into an irrevocable trust. And the trust leases the equipment back from you. What's happening is you have depreciated the equipment. You're now deducting the lease payments you're paying the trust. You're deducting that equipment twice. Very, very interesting. You're and getting a double deduction. I'll tell you something even more interesting. And, 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 and presumably the person that you are doing this has a lower income tax bracket than you do. That is correct. And then you get the money out of the trust because trusts have a very high tax rate. And we put it into the person's account. It's absolutely golden if you do it correctly. Again, it's got to be done correctly. Uh, I do want to mention a couple other things about that that's, that's uh, very beneficial. Uh, first of all, if you get into a lawsuit and somebody sues you for a couple million dollars, what happens to the equipment that you placed in trust? And the answer is nothing. You just asset protected yourself. Well, that's, that's becoming more and more important these days. That's absolutely more and more important, especially with the amount of law schools they're building. There's a lot of lawsuits going on these days. Third thing is how, you know, you probably learned, I'm sure, when you went to law school as well as a lot of other people have learned, is when you buy investment property, you have to make an allocation between the land and the building. The reason is the building is depreciable. The land is not. And if you don't make that allocation, then the government makes an allocation for you using the state tax assessor, who's always producing as much as possible to the land, which is a bad allocation. By using this gift leaseback technique, here's what you can do. You, you, you own the building. The land, the title to the land, you actually divide the title and give it to your children and lease it back in the form of ground rents. What's happening is now you are depreciating the building. 
you can deduct the lease payment, you're paying the trust in the ground rent, you're effectively deducting 100% of the cost of that property. Whereas otherwise, land is not depreciable, you can't do a darn thing. All right, now, now if I'm one of our listeners, I'm thinking, boy, that sounds aggressive. If I do that, am I going to really get in hot water? Not only will you not get in hot water, but you're even going to be better off upon an audit. Let me give you an example. I, I did that with some of my properties, and I had an IRS agent audit me and said, oh, you allocated too much to the land. So my answer to them was, well, first of all, the land is owned in trust. It's not owned by me. It's a fully irrevocable trust. I did everything correctly. If you want to change the allocation, I'll be glad to accept that. But if you change the allocation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay more rent, and I get a higher deduction. So whatever you want to do is fine with me. The agent left it alone because of that. So, so how, how did you do? Were you nailed or did you come I out? No, I just, I, the agent walked away with no change. No change on the whole audit. That's correct. Well, I'll tell you what. If you did one-tenth of the things that you recommend and you walked away with a no-change audit, you saved a ton of money. Oh, I'm saving. Let me, I'm going to tell you how I save money. I, 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 the other thing that I love is, 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 is your courage. to like, You're practically saying, come on, IRS. It's kind of like the guy who does the, uh, the name theft commercial. He says, my social security number is, or the identity theft, he said, my social security number is, it's kind of like you're, you're just like out there. Hey, there's all these great techniques. I'm using them myself. Come on. And, but, uh, but if you stood up to that scrutiny, uh, that, that's well, that's you got to do it right. And again, everything's got to be done right. You've got to dot your I's, course your T's, and you've got a problem. Which means you want to use somebody like you to make sure you're doing it right. You're not going to do your own tax return. TurboTax will never tell you this stuff. You know, you want to do it right. And that's why, you know, if you need a plumbing, you hire a plumber. You, you want to hire an expert to do what they're doing. That's why when, you, when it comes to taxes, you want an expert. But I'll give you some, a really good tip for everybody here that you're going to really like. Uh, and I've been saying this for many, many years, and, I, and I hopefully I'll, it'll come through. I have, I, you know, one of the great benefits of being in business, as I said, you get a lot of extra benefits that, that employees don't get. Well, I have a website that needed designing, and I wanted a pretty sophisticated site. It's like, what I did was I went to a web company to give me a price as to what it would be to design the website the way I wanted. It was a fairly high price, i got to tell you. Well, my daughter was in a five-year program in digital design, which is essentially web design plus motion. So I said to my daughter, let me ask you, can you do my website and what I want? She said, yeah. I paid her a little bit less than what the other company quoted me. So, that's, so they can't say it's not reasonable because the other company guy gave me a, a higher quote. The amount I was able to pay my daughter and deduct covered four years of tuition. I was able to deduct the equivalent of four years of tuition a number of years ago. Well, like, like I said, you do have a lot of courage. <laughs> Same of courage. You know, you, know you, you talk about courage. Let me ask you a question. You ever drive, you ever go down the highway and you see a, you see a, um, a state trooper with a radar gun? Sure. If you're going within the speed limit, what's going to happen? Assuming he's honest, what's going to happen? Well, nothing. Nothing. It's only if you're speeding is when they pull you over. All of these things are legit, but you've got to do them right. If you're going to pay a wage, it's got to be a reasonable wage. You've got to document the fact that they really worked for you and what they did. If you're going to deduct interest, you've got to have a 1098 showing the interest. You know, you just got to do these things right. If you do it right, you will save tens of thousands of dollars. But the problem is you've got to know about it. If you don't know about it, you, know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and by the way, when we were off the air for a minute, I did sell, tell people that uh, documentation was very important. Oh, absolutely. 
Okay, Sandy, I'm sorry, we have to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue um, this conversation. I want to remind our listeners out there that we are live tonight. There are a few more minutes that you could get a call in at 412-333-9385. And we'll be right back with Sandy Botkin and Jim Lang on the Lang Money Hour. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQVAM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. Welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. This is Hannah Haytane NK, and I'm here with Jim Lang and Sandy Botkin, president of the Tax Reduction Institute. Um, Sandy, you, you, you talked about the let's say self-employed person or somebody who has not really considered themselves self-employed and you're trying to get them to uh, do some things that they can generate some income. But obviously people have various interests and hobbies, if you like. And there might be some people who are saying, hey, you know something, maybe my hobby could be my business. So you actually have a, a... a chapter on this, and, and by the way, I don't know if we have uh, specifically um, mentioned your book, or maybe we did, but I, but I want to do it again because I genuinely believe that this is a smart thing for people to buy, and I will I will make a personal guarantee to anybody listening, that includes both our Pittsburgh audience and our national audience, because we do have a lot of people nationally that listen um, online. If you buy Sandy's book, which is a lower, it's called Lower Your Taxes Big Time and get the completely updated 2011 to 2012 edition. And uh, I don't know what it retails for, about let's say about 20 bucks. If you don't think that you got $20 out of a value in it, you write to me and I will personally refund that check because I think it's almost impossible not to get that, but you might very well get an idea that it saves a lot of money. You know, with, you know your idea with... With some of your daughter, boy, it sounds like, you know, <laughs> you paid the low tuition. You you deducted a ton of money with when she did the website, everything else. But um, if you could talk for a minute about the distinction between a hobby and a hobby loss and classifying what you might enjoy doing as a business, I think that that might be beneficial for a lot of our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, some of those people from the lower your taxes big time, I've gotten all kinds of testimonials of people saving thousands. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's been an amazing book. Well, well that, 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 that doesn't surprise me. And I guess, uh, I guess this is like a staple and you do, you do up, an update every year. That's correct. It's amazing how many people don't really have never heard of it. I mean, we, we sold a good number of them, but you know, we didn't sell as much as the Harry Potter book, for example. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not too many of us authors have. No. <laughs> Which, by the way, t- tells you why only 4% can retire at age 65 with the same standard of living. Right. So what we have to do is we have to start um, having our kids read tax book, not, not Harry Potter. Well, tax and financial books. I think there's a, that's why I'm writing a financial book, for that reason. I think there's, there's a lot of lack of information. Well, I, th- I think right. there is. And for, and for whatever it's worth, though, um, I, in defense of Harry Potter, my, my daughter loves Harry Potter. And she, just, she was one of those that you know, just couldn't wait to get out. And she was she was reading, let's say, way beyond her grade level. So I will have to give Harry Potter credit hey, for I was a lot of kids. It. So maybe that <laughs> read, read below my grade level. 
A fun is fun, right? So, that's correct. So that's what you're going to do, do now. You're going to tell us how we can deduct our fund. That's correct. Hey, you have twice. Let me tell you. There's an old saying among us tax lawyers and accountants. Everything is cheaper when you get a deduction. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> now, a couple things. In fact, it's, it's much cheaper. You know, I'm going to emphasize something here. You know, I'm sure you have a rebate card. and I don't know how much your rebate card pays you, 1% back or 2%, maybe 5%. Closer, to, like one or, closer to 1 or 2, I think. All right. How would you like a rebate card that gives you 20 to 45%? Well, that's, that sounds a lot better. On everything you buy, almost everything you do. Well, believe it or not, you already have that card. It's been, that's why I've been emphasizing small business, because business people can deduct that amount on any legitimate deduction. And it, that's what it's worth to them. It's about a 20 to 45% rebate. Now, anyway, but I want to talk about hobbies versus business, which is you raise a very good point. You know, if you run a business and that business generates a loss, that loss can be used against any form of income you have, interest, dividends, wages, rents, pensions, anything. So let's say you make $50,000 a year. You have a little side business on here on the side here that makes a $10,000 loss. You only pay taxes on 40. And if the loss exceeds your income for the year, you can even carry it back two years and actually get a refund from the federal and state government for the last two years of taxes that you pay. Get a check. Or you can carry forward all business losses up to 20 years and offset the next 20 years of earnings, which is why the tax planning is so important for everyone. Your, the income you make is immaterial, because you, if, even if it's a loss, you can use it. But there's a catch, there's an assumption there, and that is you're running your business like a business and not like a hobby. Because if you are a hobby, and this is one of the biggest weapons that IRS uses, all those losses get disallowed. Your deductions, they're no longer a business deductions, they're itemized deductions, which are less, not as good. So you really want to structure your business like a business. And there's a lot of factors to that. For example, you want to have good documentation, like a good tax diary. We have something that we developed for the iPhone and for the Droid. It's called TaxBot, T-A-X-B-O-T. They want to find out about it, they can go to taxbot.com. Uh, businesses have good documentation. Hobbies do not. If businesses don't make money, what do, what do they do? They consult with experts to find out what they need to do to change, to try and make money. If they don't just do the same thing year after year and lose money. Uh, if, if businesses uh, may, might meet with an accountant to develop a financial statement to see where they can cut. Hobbies, they don't care. Businesses work their business regularly. It's very important to work a hobby or whatever it is, if you want to treat it like a business, at least 45 minutes a day, four to five days a week, week in, week out, versus, say, once every two weeks for eight hours. Regularity is very important in structuring whether something is a business versus a hobby. Business people try to make money. They don't make statements saying, well, I'm only doing this for fun. <laughs> they don't say that. Fair, fair uh, warning, you have about a minute left. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's basically a summary. I mean, there's a lot more to it in the chapter and lower your taxes big time, but that, that's a good summary. And, and, and there's a discussion about the presumption about two out of five years, but you're going to tell us it is a rebuttable presumption. That is correct. As long as you run your business correctly. There's a case called Allen where a guy had losses for 12 years in a row. So the key is you just got to run it correctly and follow what I say in the book. All right. I, again, the book is Lower Your Taxes Big Time by Sandy Bodkin, who is a CPA and an attorney and a former trainer of the IRS who left the dark side and came to the side of light to help us taxpayers. Sandy, you want to give us your website quickly? Yes. I have two websites. It's Tax Reduction Institute, not deduction, but reductioninstitute.com. And my other website, which, is, which includes our automated tax diary, is taxbot.com. 
T-A-X-B-O-T.com. Okay, thank you. And I want to thank you for your invaluable advice tonight. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us for another Lang Money Hour where smart money talks. You can access our vast library of past shows on our website at www.paytaxeslater.com. And as always, you can catch a rebroadcast of this show at 9.05 a.m. on Sunday morning right here on KQB. Join us at 7.05 p.m. on March 21st when our special guest will be P.J. Denuso, president of Denuso Investment Advisors. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Check out the show archives and listen on demand anytime at retiresecure.com. KQB listeners can receive free tickets to Jim Lang's Pittsburgh area workshops and more. Call the Lang Financial Group at 412-521-2732. That's 412-521-2732. And reserve your seats and meet Jim Lang in person. Again, that's 412-521-2732.